Welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Butcher. And of course, soft-shoeing into our hearts is my co-host, Mr. Alex Riviello. Alex, how are you doing this week? I'm pretty good. Uh, continuing my adventures from last week, though, I now have pink eye. I don't know if you can see it in the video. Uh, my kids are continually trying to destroy me with various diseases and illnesses week after week. Oh, Alex, you just... Yep. Again, you're not really you're not, you're not making me feel good about <laughs> this whole. I'm trying to prep you. I'm trying to prep you for what your whole the whole process is going to yeah. feel like, what it's going to be. Yeah, I I'm amazed you have time to see the movies, honestly. But, uh, but... <laughs> not too not well with pink eye. <laughs> yeah, it's just no depth there. Anyways, anyways, no. uh, so Alex, I was thinking, you know, we spent a lot of time looking back at the previous award winners, and it's been fun. But I don't know if you know this, but there is an Oscar race happening right. Now, and they are going to determine a future episode for us, and so I'm kind of excited about this. However, since we explore the past, I think we need a little help in figuring out the future. And that leads us to our guest today. He is the editor-in-chief of the NextBestPicture.com and host of the Next Best Picture podcast. And he is the latest in a long line of guest hosts named Matt, Mr. Matt Neglia. Matt Welcome to the show. Very, very happy to be here, guys. Thank you so, so much for that introduction. Okay, you are most welcome. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing pretty well, actually. I uh, had some time to stop at my local Best Buy where I picked up a Blu-ray copy of uh, The Birth of a Nation, which uh, I'm very excited to watch again, seeing as how... I, I, I don't know if you guys saw it when it played in theaters back in October, but it's a... Uh, it's a flawed film, but it's one that I still found to be quite effective for a debut uh, feature film. So I'm much yes. looking forward to checking that that one out. Plus, I'm so excited. I <laughs> pre-ordered uh, today. Well, it didn't really pre-order. I ordered on Amazon. It should arrive in two days. The 400 Blows. Oh. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever seen that one. Yes. Uh, that's the Truffaut film? Yep. Criterion re-release happened oh. uh, today. So I... Uh, got that sucker and that should be arriving in two days time so i'm like the kind of person that gets a rush of dopamine uh to my body every time i buy a movie and it makes me feel great uh <laughs> so you know i i that that's really been other than going to work and having a you know an all-around good day at work today uh, it's been the highlight of my day <laughs> well, well all right <laughs> you run next next best picture uh, dot com, which is a, a great website. You have a, a couple of writers with you. you do host this amazing podcast. How long have you been been doing this? How long have you been like obsessed with the Oscars? Been like taking care of all this business year in year out? Like what what is your story? Tell the so, audience. Uh, yeah, so I'll definitely tell tell the story. The story is actually a uh, a fun one. Uh, in 2011, uh, and you'll be able to figure out my age right now. I was 11 years old. Oh, no, no, sorry, 2001. <laughs> oh, thank, oh, oh, thank God. I was like, oh. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, that would have been really funny. Um, oh, man, 2001, I'm 11 years old, and I saw for the first time Jesus ever uh, the, the Fellowship of the Ring. Earth. And I saw this movie with wide eyes. I absolutely loved it. Growing up, I loved Star Wars. I loved Jurassic Park, Disney movies, et cetera, et cetera. I always liked movies. 
Lord of the Rings, starting with Fellowship of the Ring, then the Two Towers, um, then Return of the King, made me fall in love with the making of movies. I really grew an appreciation, the fondness to understand how movies were made. And so in 2003, when Return of the King, which I still say is the greatest cinematic experience I've ever had in my life at the movie theater, it was like transformative seeing that movie. Um, when that film won 11 Oscars, that was the year where I actually was glued to the television set, Golden Globes, uh, BAFTA, Critics' Choice. Uh, um, well, the Critics' Choice wasn't aired back then, but um, all any of the televised award shows. And if, if Lord of the Rings Return of the King was up for anything, I was just so invested. It was after that that I started paying attention to what was going to be coming on the horizon. I went to college. I started making movies. I became completely obsessed with the industry. And when I got out of college and realized that making movies just wasn't the way that my life was kind of like heading in, I became very, very passionate to people about talking about movies. I would write my own articles about them. And I would always say, you know, one day I'm going to start up a site. One day I'm going to start up a site. And I just kept on procrastinating, procrastinating, procrastinating. And I'm doing my own stuff on Facebook and, uh, you know, just writing articles that nobody's ever re reading. And these things haven't seen the light of day. And I have like all these saved documents on my computer of stuff that I wrote just for me because I was just so passionate about this. And yet there didn't seem to be anybody in my life that I could talk to about it because this is before the days of Twitter and, you know, all the other big social media outlets mm -hmm. out there. So, Next thing you know, it just became inevitable that one day I would start my own site that would focus on the award season and I'd be able to share with the world my love and my passion for ultimately the film industry and films itself. That is, I think that is a story that, Alex, I may be speaking for you as well. That kind of mirrors a lot of us. We saw, saw some movies, transformed us. Needed to get out there and tell and and tell people about it. Alex, you've obviously had some success with that. I guess we have this little thing too, but ah, oh, that is a so you've been so you've been doing this a you've been you've been in, you've been in the game so to speak for a while now. Yeah, it's gotten better when I actually discovered how to use the internet to my uh, advantage. Uh, I can tell you that the years following Return of the King, it was more of. I'm going to try and see as many films as possible, which was very difficult because I'm still young. I can't go and see R-rated films in the movie theater. Um, by age 16, I was working at a movie theater. So this was the year of uh, The Departed. Right. And I was able then to, uh, still under the age of 17, at least still go see R-rated films because I worked there. And nobody seemed to really care so much about that. So I'd go in oh, unsupervised yeah. and just watch a ton of every movie I possibly could. And that, I would say around then, I'd say around 2006 was when I started getting the, um, not only the knowledge base, because I was seeing a lot more. I was watching a lot at home, my you. I was obsessed with going to the library back when they used to give uh, VHS tapes out at the library and DVDs. <laughs> um, and I also, you know, then next thing you know, Netflix rolls around and you're just, you're just watching and watching and watching. And it just became... I, I went on a mission one time. This is this is something I don't recommend many people to do necessarily because it's really taxing and, you know, you won't have a life. But I watched the entire IMDb Top 250 once. Ooh. I I printed it out and I made it a mission over the course of uh, one year to watch oh, every film. You actually did it? Uh, you completed I did, it? I did wow. do it. And it was very, 
very, very difficult, but I'll I was really, that. really hell bent on doing this. And this was uh, pre-college. I, I, I think that, um, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, first year of college. I think if I had done it when I was in high school, I never could have done it. But it seemed like when I went <laughs> to college, like I had a lot of free, a, a lot more free time. Right. So, you know, it, it seemed very, very doable at the time. But uh, what, what yeah, was the, what I, was number one at the time? Was that Shawshank still? Or Godfather? Oh no no no! Number one was uh, number one was still Godfather. Shawshank was oh. number two. Dark Knight was number three. Of course, Dark Knight was number three because <laughs> there were never <laughs> movies before then, or something. Yeah, and I credit that with um, really turning me to a classic eye of cinema in terms of you know just checking out uh, the older films like Seven Samurai, uh, Twelve Angry Men, things that I probably never would have. Well, I would have eventually had a chance to see them, but uh, you know, at, because it was on that list, I had a chance to see those in various foreign films and got a really, really broad education, I guess you could say. Right. Um, so going back to Birth of a Nation, uh, it came out in October, had all this Oscar buzz, seventeen million dollars, I think, was bought yeah. from Toronto or whoever, and it has it is nowhere to be found anymore because nope. the race is has changed dramatically and uh i guess you know we've had the golden globes i believe the producers guild was announced today as were the was the dgas as well no we've no had... no the, uh, the baftas actually oh, the, the british oh, right. academy yes. awards the baftas and so i'm i'm here to pick your i, w- I want to pick your brains on what you think this uh award season is like who do you like who do you think is going to win? Who should be nominated? Who shouldn't be nominated? What are your predictions? Well, uh, I'll start off with what is going to happen. And what is going to happen is La La Land is going to win anywhere between 8 and 11 Oscars. That is a Ooh, fact. 8. It, that's eight eight or, eight's, the, eight's, eight's, eight's the floor. It's the floor. That's the minimum. Yeah, that's it's going to happen. I There's an alternative universe where... Damien Chazelle wins Best Director. The film wins a bunch of tech awards. Emma Stone wins Best Actress. And we think that it's going to win Best Picture. And in the last second, a film which manages to pick up Best Supporting Actor uh, and Best Adapted Screenplay early in the evening also wins Best Picture. And that could be Moonlight. Okay. All right. But so that would be three Oscar wins for Moonlight versus the tech giant uh, that also wins Best Director, mirroring 12 Years a Slave versus Gravity, where also coincidentally, 12 Years a Slave, the only Golden Globe award it won was Best Picture Drama, just like Moonlight did this Sunday night. Yeah, it kind of does feel like it's like going to be another. Uh, I, in doing this podcast, we've noticed a uh, trend in a lot of. Uh, they, they seem to love the movies about movies, and that's uh, La La Land can you know definitely fit that bill. But they also like the political movies too, so Moonlight could fit that one too. So if there are any two that are going to compete, it seems like those are the two obvious ones. Yeah, there's a bunch of people that are trying to make Manchester by the Sea a thing, and <laughs> there is a, another world that is way beyond the other one I described, which involves Casey Affleck winning Best Actor, which I, I think he's going to do. Um, it wins Best Original Screenplay, which it's kind of neck and neck right now with La La Land. Don't ask me why. I think Manchester by the Sea deserves that award full-heartedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also wins Best Picture because it's a white man's problem drama, 
which we see, you know, winning Best Picture quite often, a lot. You right, know, Ordinary right. People, uh, Birdman to a certain degree. You know, I mean, this, this sort of uh, film, you know, really does t- tend to capture the quote-unquote steak eaters, as they're called, their, their <laughs> votes within the Academy every yep. now and then. The Oscars so white, as it were. In a way, in a way. But, I mean, listen, with everything that's going on this year politically, Moonlight would be a really, really big stance um, so it, I say that that is maybe the closest thing that could, you know, upset La La Land, but, you know, just being honest here, it's going to be La La Land. Yeah. I, I like, um, how do you feel about that? I'm, I'm actually curious. Like, yes, it's going to win, but are you happy about it winning? I think it's a good movie. I enjoy it. It's, it's in my top 10 of the year. I just don't like people claiming it's a masterpiece i don't like people claiming it's the second coming i don't like people saying um that they love it and then when you actually point out flaws about it they say oh well i i, I didn't see it that way and then and then they, they they don't agree with you and they don't it's like they don't want to debate they don't want they just want to love it and they want to be left alone and people have their blinders on for it, and it's really annoying to talk to those people. <laughs> but I think that's why it swept the Golden Globes and won all seven of its nominations, because people are falling head over heels for this movie, and they will not be told otherwise. Hmm. What, a, what it's, There's something else in 2016 that that reminds me of. What? What was it? it was like this orange? <laughs> I think it had some orange in it. Just they just they just loved it beyond reason. Some, I, some you know, yellow too, apparently. Yeah, it's some some, <laughs> some yellow. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure it'll come to me. All right, we are discussing the second silent film, and I'm using air quotes to win Best Picture 2011's <laughs> The Artist, a throwback to classic Hollywood when times were simpler. When men were men, women were women, there's dancing, there may be some silent singing. It's a movie about Hollywood from Hollywood. It's called it's a hooray for Hollywood film. It seems appropriate that we are talking about this because it's basically La La Land in black and white. And we are going to take a short break, and Matt's going to come back with us. Alex is going to be here, and we are going to talk about the 2011 Academy Awards. So please stick around. Whoa. See you after the break. Thank you. Wait! I love your country. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you to the Academy. Uh, uh, it's funny because in 1929, it wasn't Billy Crystal, but Douglas Fairbanks who hosted the first Oscar ceremony. Tickets cost $5, and it lasted 15 minutes. <laughs> Times have changed. So, thank you, Douglas Fairbanks. Yes, Melissa, your grandfather's spirit and joie de vivre inspired me for this role. And so many of you here tonight have inspired me. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for... <laughs> this incredible gift. Thank you, uh, my wonderful partner, Bernice Bejo. Thank you, uh, the wonderful uh, casting crew. Um, oh, my wife, I love you. <laughs> uh, kisses, Simon, Jules, Chloe, 
And, uh, and uh, if George Valentine, Valentine could speak, he'd say, Oh, putain, génial, merci, formidable. The artist won Best Picture, obviously, because we are talking about it right now. But it did pick up five total wins. Matt, what else did the artist win that year? Best Director for Michelle Hasnavanovicius. Is that uh, is that is, sorry? Is that how you pronounce it? Because I was trying, I was, I was trying to figure that one out, and I honestly, <laughs> I think I actually just butchered it myself. Even I'm not gonna lie. I think it. Let me try this one more time. It's Michelle. Hazanavicious. I think I added an extra syllable in there by mistake because it okay. just rolled off the tongue as such. <laughs> but Michelle Hazanavicious is is the way you say it. Yeah, I'm I like pretty it. short. <laughs> um, best actor uh, Jean Dujardin was nominated. Best supporting actress for Berenice Bejo. Yep, nominated. Uh, best yep, nominated. best yep. original screenplay uh, for the artist, which was debatable that year. Uh, best original score for yeah. the artist, uh, Ludovic. Won that course. one, yeah. Also one. debatable in some respects. Um, best art direction, cinematography, costume design, and editing. Yeah. No sound nomination for this one. Although I, the BAFTA is, for some odd reason or another, nominated for sound, which I still don't understand. But <laughs> it had it had the one scene that. You know, compared I mean, to compared to everything around it, it was like, oh, this is actually you know sounds very cool, but it you're does right. clever stuff with the sound. But it's like you know, there's like two scenes that it does clever stuff with the sound. It's mostly just a score doing all the work. I mean, I mean that feather hitting the ground was just <laughs> <laughs> epic. Yeah. It was it was a good dream sequence. It was a good dream. It sequence. was it was basically like the Foley guys just going crazy. Like really, we got a whole scene to ourselves. Like yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, excited. Jean Dujardin, he was surprisingly the first Frenchman to ever win Best Actor, which when I say that, it sounds wrong. It's like, no, there had to have been somebody, right? But no, apparently uh, Jean Dujardin. Uh, I think, what what else? He showed up in Wolf of Wall Street. I think he was the French banker guy. I'm trying to think of what else he may have been in. That Monuments one. Men. Oh, he's in, oh, yes, he was in Monuments Men. I didn't see that. I hear it was actually terrible. But... What a cast! What a cast there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, Matt, you said there were some uh, some debatable ones uh, there. Yeah. Original score you had, and uh, best original screen, screenplay. screenplay. Yes. Yeah, uh, screenplay because there was a conversation that year over you know should it be nominated because there virtually is no dialogue in the movie, and so there was a question of action versus dialogue and how you do have to still put you know pen to paper or you know open up uh your program on your computer whatever you're using to type with and still write down the actions that take place and how the screenplay uh is structured and it flows so there was definitely a conversation about this i personally don't mind it but i know there were some people that were very outspoken on the matter of that year strange though because it doesn't change i mean yeah just because it doesn't have dialogue it's still a screenplay it just must have been a really short screenplay i didn't even think about that you know usually uh the the uh the words uh the dialogue pads the the numbers quite a bit oh yeah but um yeah i mean it's still a screen i mean still had a right you know they still worked it off the screenplay so that's kind of strange that that was 
and there were, and, there, and, there, and there were still moments when they were like the actors were actually saying things you just didn't yeah like hear that you right. didn't hear them and like maybe it went came, there was a card or something but you know they still had to say stuff they weren't just going uh bubblegum watermelon over and over <laughs> and over again they were actually saying they were saying real words sometimes you'd be like oh i he said you know john yeah, yeah, Goodman said this it. or something like that or something like that yeah so, in, uh, in English too, it was kind of funny. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, best original screenplay, I believe, did go to uh, Midnight in Paris. Uh, Woody Allen. It did. Third yep. writing Oscar, uh, uh, in his like seventeenth nomination or something. He's the most nominated writer in Oscar in the Academy history or something like. That. And I wouldn't even given it to him personally. Oh really? Who nope. who's all right? Who's best original screenplay for you? Uh, Oscar Ferrari for A Separation. Oh, the best foreign film winner that year. Yeah. Yep. I, I, everyone's saying it's a great movie. Uh, it's, I assume it is, obviously. Oh, wanted... it's it's great. It's like upper tier, high level of greatness in terms of the complexities of the characters and what you get within that film is something that you would normally need in an entire se- season of television. But somehow he's able to cram it all into this film. It's just filled with so many ups and downs, twists and turns, and yet it's not relying on any gimmicks or anything like that to keep you invested. It's just a very grounded, harsh reality-based film that is, at times, just soul-crushing. It's a really, really, really fantastic movie. I look forward to uh, taking care of that when we handle uh, one of our uh, foreign film winners, because gonna have to do that at some point but so the artist had to take down uh a number of other uh, of other contenders alex what else do we have here that was nominated oh after i just closed the window <laughs> uh, i messed you up sorry do I, do I thought I, you were handling do it. i have to hire on matt full-time there we go here we go sorry <laughs> here we go. it was one of the long ones this was a few years after they started doing the uh you know the 100 100 uh, best picture nominees um which might may lead to us getting deadpool this year which is the rumor which, today yeah it got, yeah i got a producer's guild producer's yeah. guild nominee that's it's not going to happen. It's, it, it won't. It's, no, it's, what District 9 got one? Yeah, but this is pulled. not. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> the more this, the more it's going to happen. So <laughs> exactly. It's going to be hilarious. They're gonna, I, come on. Think of the ads. The ads are going to be great because it's going to have, you know, all the DVDs and Blu-rays going to have to get updated with, like, you know, that's award, fine. Uh, Academy but, Award nominated <laughs> Deadpool. And, and you know, think about the ads for the second one. It will be nominated Make up anyway. Okay, I can see it. Yeah, all right. All I'll right. give. Yeah, I'll give him makeup. Anyways, Alex, Alex, what do we got? <laughs> yes, we have for the rest of it. We have uh, the Descendants, Alexander Payne's. Uh, yeah, is it a uh, George Clooney film? Yeah, written by Dean from Community, Mr. Jim Rash, and winner of the Best Adapted Screenplay. So that's Academy mm-hmm. Award winner, Dean from Community. Yes. To you, sir. Jeez, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> We have uh, extremely loud and incre- incredibly close. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know, it's one of those movies, so it's gotta. I rem- you know. Yeah, it's. I remember seeing it. I remember when I first saw it. I think I was going through a, a tough time. I'm like, man, this movie really spoke to me. But in hindsight, that is some manipulative mm-hmm. garbage right there. Yeah. I, uh, I, 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 re- I regret the uh, very positive review I gave it. Actually. I saw uh, a, re- a few months ago. I, saw, I don't know why. I watched uh, the World Trade Center movie. And that oh. was less manipulative. That was less <laughs> manipulative than extremely loud and incredibly close. But yeah, yeah. 
Um, we had that. We had uh, the help, mm. which was uh, mm. very, very a big. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of hype for it going into it into this. It was yeah. a, it was a box office performer, and yeah. general audiences were really responding to it much in the same way that they're responding to Hidden Figures this year. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, the help, but that picked up Best Supporting Actress, right? Is that? For Octavia Spencer, yes, yep. Octavia Spencer, yes, yes, yes. And Jessica Chastain in a year where she gave like at least five films this year, that was the performance that they chose to nominate her for. <laughs> of course, I, I'm uh, I'm sorry. I, I just think she was no, better it's... in Take Shelter in the Tree of Life, but you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> I love, uh, love um, the Tree so... of Life. Anyways. <laughs> okay, so what else we have? We had Hugo. We had Martin Scorsese's. Uh... Yeah. Um, how how do we how do I would, fit into I, would, I, would, I would say it's smart. It's uh, it's Scorsese's love letter it's to classic. Film. It's Scorsese's love letter to classic film, but unfortunately, yeah. it's not the most love lettery to classic film this year. It yeah. also it also it got uh, eleven total nominations and five wins, yeah. tying it f- f- with um with the artist, but they were mostly uh, technical wins. I believe you know, VFX, uh, I'm sure, I think it was sound, yeah. sound mixing, maybe editing. Uh, Which, by the way, it's crazy that it won um, some of the awards that it did end up winning this year. I remember I went into the ceremony predicting it would only win, I think, one of its eventual wins, and the other four, it was like... What? <laughs> yeah, I was like completely. Yeah, it's a strange shocked. one. It's yeah. it's the name, I guess. Scorsese. I don't know. This was like he was still riding high after uh, everything else was going on. But um, I don't know. Yeah, what was it about Hugo? Because it's not. It doesn't seem like one of those films. Just because it's a Scorsese film, I guess. Well, uh, Scorsese said that he wanted to make the movie uh, for his daughter, who wasn't yet old enough to watch a lot of his R-rated films. So this was kind of something that he did for her at the time. And I love that he was able to take what was this on the surface children's family film. And like you said, turn it into his love letter to cinema. It was something to me uh, that every child slash family film should be. It should be something that's appealing to children, but also has something for adults as well. And I thought that I, I thought it was a very beautiful film and a lot better than it was definitely a lot better than I thought it was going to be going into it. I'll give you that much. Mm. And the 3D in it was just amazing at the time. Yeah, I remember mm. being wowed I didn't by see that. The 3D. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the the 3D. I was like, this is actually very. Well when a director done. knows what he's doing. Yes, <laughs> when you have like a real director doing, you know, right, ta- right. You know, who cares about like every little thing about a frame. He's it's it looks it's a phenomenal looking film. I'll definitely give you that. Mm. Definitely give you that. But. There are more nominees. What we else have we... more nominees. Yes, plenty more. We have plenty more. We have uh, Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris, which we already mentioned, mm-hmm. was also nominated for Best Picture. Yep. We have uh, the sports film, sports uh, sports ball film, uh, Moneyball. <laughs> Moneyball. Um, with, with, uh, sorry. <laughs> written by Aaron Sorkin. Woo! Right, yes. right high off of that. Uh, what should we call it? Social Network. Social Network. Mm-hmm. Also uh, co-written by Steven Zalian as well. Oh, mm-hmm. damn! Yeah, Schindler's List. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Tying it together. <laughs> yeah. uh, we also have uh, Terrence Malick's Tree of Life, also mentioned. That's another Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt had a couple of things in this, huh? Yeah, and, and, and Chester. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh god. Yep. I uh, I really like the Tree of Life. I thought that was just like I still haven't seen it. <sighs> you gotta see it. You gotta see it on the biggest screen possible, man. It's a Yeah. It's a it's a Terrence Malick movie. I feel as though they demand to be seen as it's big the as last possible. uh it's the last watchable Terrence Malick film. Yeah. Uh mm. yeah, I have I saw To the Wonder that was kind of crap, and I hear Night of Cups was sort of like really not that good. Uh which, which is it's like two to wonder. Oof. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> well then, and finally, rounding out, uh, rounding out this evening, we have the Wahos. Wahos. Spielberg. Wahos. Spielberg's uh... second movie that year. He also had Tintin or The Adventures of Tintin, which he co-directed yes, with Peter which Jackson. Probably deserved a nomination more. I would say. Uh... I would say. I think. I think it's a. Be- I think it's his best adventure film since like the Indiana Jones films. It's like that. 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 You know. Yeah. It's it's very similar vein. Like that's a that's similar thing. It feels like he uh I don't know, it, it gets that kind of rollicking adventure feel. I like Tintin. I don't think it's a great film, but it, it's a really, really fun film. It won really the is. Golden Globe that year for animated film, and I remember um thinking to myself, you know what? Yeah, let's get another <laughs> Oscar to Steven Spielberg for animated film. And then it wasn't it wasn't nominated there, so Yeah, which is strange because right. well, there was yeah, what, what... Puss in Boots and Kung Fu Panda too. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and, yeah, Ray, and Rango, yeah, Rango, Rango ended up. Is, uh, Rango's fun, you know. Yeah, I like that. Rango's fine. Rango's Rango fine. has just, some really stunning animation now. Yeah, right. it looks great. It's got great actors and stuff in it, but it's just like, I don't know. It's very not much to it. I feel. It's, it's, got, like, it's I feel like it's like all these, you know, especially with the whole Johnny. They got the whole Johnny Depp doing his his chick again from uh, <laughs> Fear and Loathing. Almost. It's it's I don't know. It's a weird movie. Just out of curiosity, uh, am I allowed to share with you guys uh, my top ten of that year? Yeah, you're the guest. Sure. Awesome. And, if, and if we don't uh, like it, we can just edit it out. It's that's fine. fine. <laughs> uh, so, so I always have a runner up because it's like I'm cheating. Uh, the runner up that didn't make my top 10 was indeed source code, uh, which we all are all in agreement that we like here, right? Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, good. Definitely. So in the number 10 spot, I do have Terrence Malick's film, The Tree of Life, which is just gorgeous in every single possible way uh number nine was the descendants all right number eight was the film that i thought should have won visual effects that year and that's rise of the planet of the apes okay uh, yeah. Uh, speaking, yeah. Of movies, speaking of movies you had no idea to expect how good they would be uh, I, yeah. I, I i didn't I, I wasn't were you guys fans of uh planet of the apes before seeing the new one yeah that, uh, the first one yeah the first you know the, yeah, the, the yeah, series the, of the I mean, I, yeah, I, like, I think I'd seen most of them, and they're like, yeah, this is a fun right. little goofy yeah. whatever thing, but like, I did not see this new one, right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, sure. Yeah, right? it's, it's in August or whatever. Like, just fine. Yeah. It's so good. Surprising. Yeah. Very surprising. Uh, uh, number, number seven is uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 2. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which I think is I the it. best Harry Potter film, personally. Ooh. No, Azkaban for me all the way. I, yeah, no, no, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> if you put the two parts, if you put the two parts together, consider one. I feel like it's a more solid film. I don't know. I, the whole splitting up into two thing kind of threw me. It's it's yeah. very weird how it picks I, up. I, and I, I'm kind I, of they, just, that. they gotta do it. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, next up, number six is Moneyball, which okay. I thought also should have won a screenplay that year. It's a good uh, screenplay. Uh, number five is probably the most underrated film of the entire year and is a movie that i try my hardest to get as many people to watch as possible 
um, because it died a slow and painful death at the, the at the box office, and that is Gavin O'Connor's film Warrior. Oh yeah, that's the that's uh, yeah that's the um, MMA one with the uh, Tom, Tom Hardy? Hardy and Joel Egerton, and yeah. an amazing uh, performance from Nick Nolte. Yeah. Oh, I remember. Yeah, I I I remember the end of that movie, and then it just and then it just cut out. I'm like, it's like it finished what it had to do, and then just got the hell out of there. I go. That's so great, 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 great soundtrack, great everything. Yeah, I you know I completely forgot that movie came out that year. Just yeah, no film had me on the edge of my seat more than the way Warrior did in its climactic uh, showdown between uh, Egerton and Tom Hardy. I had no idea how they were going to end the movie because they did such an expert job of making you want to root for both guys. Yeah, uh, it was it was just masterfully well done. I I really love that film. Okay, uh, nice number four is the, actually the artist which i oh, you know what i think this is more so based on nostalgia than actual quality i, I it, it, it's tough because uh, i'll be honest with you i made this list in 2011 and right. i had not seen the artist in five years this time preparing for this podcast was the first time i'd seen it since i saw it in theaters Right. Oh, okay. So right. I will admit, I probably would change this list now, move some things around a little bit. But my top three are solid, and my top three are not moving anywhere. All right, uh, got? Top, top three is Hugo. Uh, number two is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo remake. Yep. And number one, one of my favorite movies ever, Nicholas Winding Refn's film Drive. Yes! Other oh Matt. Other Matt from <laughs> Only Podcast About Movies. You're listening to this. I got another one. Another guy who loves Drive. Eat it. Sorry, I have a thing with him. He hates Drive. I love it, and we'll we'll never we'll never be who hates real Drive. My, Matt, other Matt. Not a, people that went in with uh, the wrong expectations of what kind of a movie they were going and to then, watch. Those and then the and then sued the studio uh, because it wasn't fast enough. Oh curious. yeah, they did get that lawsuit. I remember that. Yeah, yes, that was gonna be him dr- driving around being cool. Dri- Drive is so good, so good. But you mentioned that you know, if you, like you make you make this list in the year, and that's how it, how it goes. And a lot of the times, we don't actually go and revisit these films ever again because we have to make the list for next year, and so on and so on and so forth. So it you know, if anything, this show does deal in nostalgia, and you know that's our core principle we're supposed to we're supposed to think of like how does this movie stand any sort of test of time and it is interesting that uh for you you sir said the artist um would probably be shuffled around in your list it wasn't even the top of your list uh already, and I am very much looking forward to hearing your thoughts on why that might be uh, when we come back from this next little break, so audience do stick around. Hello, cinephiles. This here is Matt Neglia, part of NextBestPicture.com, and I have one question to ask you. Do you feel like Leonardo DiCaprio really deserved it for The Revenant last year? Do you think somebody else should have won Best Actor? Well, on our podcast called The Next Best Picture Podcast, myself, Will, Michael, and Kristen discuss that and more as we are always looking for the best in film today and what will ultimately win the Best Picture Oscar. Join us as we review films, talk about the latest news in the awards race, as well as the film industry itself. Thank you very much for your consideration. Hey, 
See what I did there? How do you guys feel about it revisiting it now? Alex, had you seen it earlier? And Matt, what are your thoughts on it as well? Whoever wants to go first. I had I had not. So, yeah, if you want to start with I hadn't seen it uh, at all. So I'm kind of curious to hear what Matt thinks about seeing it then versus uh, seeing it now how it's held, it's held up in the, uh, what, six years now? Uh, five years. And so a couple things. One, first things first, when I watched it for the second time, the first thing I noticed was that the film was rated PG-13. And I was like, wait, really? Because I couldn't remember any reason why this film would be rated yeah, wait. anything other than PG. Why is it PG-13? <laughs> I just wait a minute. I, I still don't exactly know. I mean, uh, I watched the film a second time and nothing necessarily caught my eye. <laughs> a, potential, a, a potential suicide? Because kids under 13 kids uh, under 13 yeah, won't you know want to watch it. Potential suicide could be it, actually. Yeah, maybe. Because you have to read? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So here's my thing about the artist. Okay. I think that it's a classic throwback. I think it pays homage to great films of the past. Um, I think it also does – it just does such an, a great job of the pacing of the editing, getting the actors' movements, the expressionistic faces, the classical music, the uh, 4x3 aspect ratio, everything about the film – feels like it was something that was made in the past. And then you get these moments where um, Michelle is doing stuff with the camera that is definitely more modern. And there's a lot of other trickery involved that's also more modern. And you realize you're kind of mixing old with new. And I like all that. I I like all of this. My big problem with the movie is that when it was all over – from a story standpoint and from a character standpoint, I didn't find any takeaway with this movie. There was no complex uh, questions I was asking myself when this was over. It didn't make me ponder and think about it anymore. Uh, it just doesn't resonate for me. And so the first time I saw it, it definitely resonated because it's that feeling of, oh, they don't make them like this anymore. Oh, isn't that very sweet? Oh, it's so charming. Look, a dog. Oh. <laughs> and now when you watch it, you're like, oh, that's that's nice. And that's it. Yeah. That's all you do. You just say, oh, well, that was nice. Yeah. I, Alex? Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree. It, it's It's interesting because that's – it it feels like it, they're going for that old school silent film, and for I mean for a lot of it, it does. It's got a very static camera for some parts, but yeah, like you said, there are parts that pull you out. But it's very intentional. It also plays with sound. There's a couple scenes that that play with sound and play with uh like his dream sequence where he's uh he's hearing all the the sounds and losing his mind over the thought of the future, and um. It's very, very kind of fourth wall breaking, very kind of winky to the audience. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of moments like that, which, you know, I, I feel like I don't know if there is a way to just do like a completely authentic silent film and get away with it. But at the same time, I agree with you. It does it does pull you out when you're just you, you realize like, you know, you're watching a film. You're not you know, you're not getting involved with these these characters. You're, you're just watching a kind of an ode to cinema. And there's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. And it's and it's a well done Oh, to cinema. I feel like we're definitely like I agree that this is actually technically well made. It's well done, but ultimately hollow. And I think the yeah. main I think the main purpose of it is to bring people 
who would never see a silent movie, who just, just would, would never go to one because they're for squares or whatever the parlance is nowadays. It brings them in, it brings them in and it make, helps to make them feel smart. Like they've been to something. It's called the artist. It must be artistic. I can feel good about getting some culture in my life. And it worked for two hours. I, when I first saw this, I saw it with my parents and it was so charming, so enthralling that you just walk away and you're like, that was so great and just beautiful and i feel good about it and it like weren't weren't the old movies just 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 the best and you know after i think after a day it was just started you know even then i started after i written the review and it was all up on the on my site i was like oh oh yeah the artist and I was—I actually read the old. <laughs> forgot I, about it already. Yeah, I kind of forgot about it. And I—I <laughs> I, I read my—I read—I read my review before this. I was like, oh man, I was just like, all, I was all up on this film, like I was in love with it. But now that here we are, five, almost six years later, and it doesn't—and it doesn't last. It's like the Sting. It—it it doesn't last. Mm. It's uh, like I remember thinking, oh yeah, there was like, there's nothing. Watching it the second time, there was nothing else for me to take from this you're right Matt right. you're right there are no there's no there are no takeaways from this movie anymore and yeah it works on a superficial level for sure but it's kind of not not that good um, I mean, the difference between the, oh. uh, I was going to just go out that the difference with the strength uh, the sting which is a, the movie we did last week uh, is that 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 you know that prompted a whole genre there's nobody making silent films from this. It's just kind of once, you know, one and done, one yeah. shot kind of thing. Nobody's going to be making, yeah, nobody's going to be making silent films. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a formula. Like, hey, let's make some Oscar-winning silent films. Uh, that didn't work in its face. So as far as, I mean, of course, it's too, it's still too early. It's only a few years, uh, so we can't talk about, you know, legacy yet. But you know, it's get, it's getting it's... there. It's getting there though. Uh, I just yeah. I, like I remember at the time there was a lot there was a lot of backlash. People were like, "This movie should not win Best Picture." Mm. And well, we'll we'll get to our final thoughts at at the end. Um, <laughs> well, the okay. Well, the movie is ultimately hollow. I you know what, Jean Dujardin, he is great in this. I like he really I do love him in this role. If he never if he never made another movie, that's fine by me. He's I think just wonderful. He does have that old school uh, appeal. He's like, he's dashing. We don't have dashing actors anymore. Uh, but it's very I, emotive. Yeah, it's very and, like wide. Everything is every all the all his expressions and things. Like that. It's like perfect for a silent movie actor. It's, exactly. he's, he's authentic. Yeah. Oh, he's that. fantastic, and he's yeah, probably yeah. other than the actual style of the film itself. He he's probably the best thing about it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, well, I mean, well, I mean, the dog's pretty great, even if the dog is <laughs> a cheap manipulative ploy. But we, uh, he comes in, he comes in. The, the, I actually remember, like, man, is the dog Same actually the, the yeah, the dog's the hero of this movie. Like, he's the, yeah, the, <laughs> but, um, basically, yeah. I mean, the, the dog is uh, pretty phenomenal when you really do think about it, because there's these moments in the film where the dog is doing stuff that you just never see any other dogs doing in film. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really insane. Uh, I mean, he's doing these tricks and I'm saying to myself, how the hell did they actually get 
this dog to do these things. It, it, it just blows my mind. And you know what's so funny is that uh, I re- I'll never forget when people were kind of like succumbing to the idea, oh my God, the artist is going to train ride its way through the entire award season, win, win the Oscar. And that's, that is what happened. It just steamrolled through everything this year and it had virtually no competition. And I'll never forget the rationale behind it was uh, a line from Shakespeare in Love where uh, Jeffrey Rush's character says, all you need is love and a bit with a dog. <laughs> sure and And he brings the heart literally did is that it had a a story about love and a bit with a dog and america just lost their minds uggy uggy the dog uggy uggy the dog who's very well trained oh shit and also sorry now you reminded me of shakespeare in love and god damn it we have to do an episode on that don't we (sighs) (laughs) but um the story itself is it's I think it's basically a star is born kind of, you know, older, act, older actor find discovers younger talent, younger talent succumbs, and and what I actually haven't seen a star is born. That's just my understanding, and I'm, <laughs> it's going it's also, news, but... it's also singing in the it's singing in the rain if uh, if the villain was was the protagonist basically. Mm. It's where where you know the uh, where where the the woman who has the horrible voice uh, is getting you know getting cast out by the the young upcoming talent. It's basically mm-hmm. that, except that you know that he's the the love. In, they're both the love interest. Well, because this deals with a very um, topical issue for its time, and that is the invention of talkies, sound in, within films, and so many actors weren't able to handle the transition right. and lost their jobs, and you know, as this film kind of melodramatically puts it, probably lost uh, their uh, financial status. They lost their career probably lost their minds in some cases. So when the film does push George Valentine to that point, it, it, it's it's something that you can't help but say, you know what, I bet you a lot of people really, really did go through all of this. And it's, I, I mean, it. I mean, listen, it's a fact that people went through all this. It, you know, it, it did happen to quite a bit of stars. So I guess in a way there is kind of that subtext to it that makes you feel something. But, you know, we're talking about how hollow this film is. I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, the one part in the movie where I actually, other than a couple of chuckles due to the charm of the film, the only moment where I really, like, felt something was when uh, J- uh, James Cromwell has this really heartbreaking moment with Jean Dujardin in the movie where uh, George Valentine realizes he hasn't, like, paid him in, like, in a year. And yeah. that moment is actually the moment that really just made me go, oh, oh no, James Cromwell, I loved you and Babe. What's going on here? I would pay you. Yeah. Come, come work for me. Yeah. Also, also one of the perhaps one of the heroes of the uh, of, of the movie as well, James Cromwell's butler mm. character. Yeah, he's, mm. he's just the loyal the loyal friend who sticks by his down on his luck employer. Yeah. It's, uh, it, I I did I did forget how like dark it, I completely dark it gets I completely forgot about the is that a pun <laughs> I forgot about the attempted suicide scene I was like oh I why did, <laughs> why they, did they, they mess with you that, nope. they do that little fourth wall thing again where they uh they definitely mess with you and your your uh, conceptions of uh you know the whole with the title card going bang oh, bang. bang right yeah, yeah it's like right. such a 
which 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 I'd have to say in a in a, in a, in a, like okay if we assume that this is a movie happening where sound exists they just can't record it why I am surprised a crashing car did not startle him so much that he accidentally pulled the trigger and <laughs> and it's a very different movie from that there on out from <laughs> you just made a really dark a well, dark ending to that film yeah just... well. Uh, <laughs> Which 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 reminds me, I, th- I think my favorite my favorite scene of that uh, in the film is when it. I love how Hazana Vicious or however you pronounce it, how he plays the discovery of all his old stuff because Pepe Miller, played by Berenice Bejo, has been collecting all of George Valentine's artifacts that he's been selling at auction so he can survive. And Valentine he finds he didn't burn. Yeah, the ones he didn't burn. And Valentine <laughs> finds them. In mm-hmm. her in her fancy mansion, and it's I was like, this movie could become so dark and twisted right now. I know it's not going to, but man, wouldn't it be great if she just needed that one last piece for her collection? And that was George <laughs> Valentine himself. Just a Stephen wow. King story. I needed to like think of <laughs> something were, during it. I'm you weren't just... being swept away with the uh, classic Hollywood story. You were, you were, you were going dark places. Well, you just I'm... made Orson Welles very proud. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was wondering why does uh, Peppy Miller really like this guy? He's kind of been a jerk to her. Kind of like most oh, she's a manic, she's a manic pixie dream girl. That's why uh, she I, I, she's my, doing that. Here's my, my guess on this matter. I, I I'd like to equate it to somebody that maybe I, I'm just gonna pick any actor. Uh, a girl that random girl with dreams in Hollywood has this star-studded crush on Leonardo DiCaprio, and that's Fair. something that I mean, just think about all these people that are in Hollywood that are not oh my gosh i hate saying this but this is another big thing i hate i kind of hate about this movie now is that <laughs> she's so devoted to him and she's like so like willing to like save his life and it, it, she's not i don't know why she gives a crap about him and why she can't just be this independent uh woman that stands for herself and you know doesn't even have to worry about a man and trying to save a, a, a man it, it, i just think that that's because to, to me, then, it would seems like it seems like her only purpose in the film is to be there to solve his problems, yes. which I think does just, uh, which I think does a disservice to the only female character in this movie as a result, you know, and we're not getting that equal balance then between men and women. Right. So, yeah, I, I want to think, I guess they try to do a little bit with like, you know, him being like the kind of almost mentor figure at first, you know, especially with the whole the beauty, beauty mark thing and. Um, he kind of like you know sets her up for her career, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah you're right. Then though. we have that there's, whole scene where she much the... like imagines like dancing with him, and she puts the hand mm-hmm. through the coat, which is um, actually on its own like a, a really like a uh, uh, really really cool scene in a way because uh, it actually visual. that's like yeah, it's one of the moments in the film where I actually uh, you know got that feeling of oh, this is the magic of cinema. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, that comes through that she idolizes him, fancies him a little bit. He's kind of like, you know, his his attraction to her is more gradual as the film kind of goes on, I suppose. But because they're limited to not having dialogue, they can't uh, express complex emotion. And so this film feels very superficial in a way. Mm-hmm. 
and yeah. th that's uh, where um, it doesn't have a very modern story. It's got, like I said, modern technical elements sometimes thrown into the film. But as far as story and characters go, it's very devoid of that. And that's also part of the reason why, uh, from a screenplay standpoint, you know, I talked about earlier about how I didn't think it was necessarily – it was a contention that year. But that's because a lot of people didn't feel that the movie was complex enough. It was very, very simplistic. But perhaps that is why it struck a chord with so many people because oh, just, yeah. it's because it's not having any dialogue. You could still follow. You still know exactly what's happening, how to feel, when to feel it. It's, and listen, every, we're living in up. an age where the Oscars are voted upon with a preferential ballot. And so any film that's considered the general consensus film, the kind of film that you can put in and have your family sit down and watch – and nobody's going to bat an eyelash to it. Nobody's going to hate it when it's over. That's the film that wins Best Picture now. You know, we're, we're not going to really, really see a day again of something like No Country for Old Men uh, winning Best Picture anytime soon. We're, we're going to get these feel-good, go-lucky movies or historically important films like 12 Years a Slave. Right. But we're not going to get anything that's complex, dark, and gritty anytime soon. It just turns too many people off to it. And that's that's why the artist became a runaway success with critics first, starting back at Cannes, and then next thing you know, uh, uh, with the box office. And I, you know what? Here's the, here's the best part of all. Five years later, uh, people like me, we got our revenge. Nobody talks about the artist nowadays. The only reason why people talk about the artist is because it won Best Picture, and that's the only reason why people will ever talk about the artist. It's not a film that you talk about. <laughs> it's true. That yeah, uh, it's, I, I, yeah. I mean, I you know, I was saying that the years haven't gone by too far yet, but I, I I don't see it like getting a resurgence in popularity. So I kind of agree. I agree with that assessment. I don't. I don't think uh, history is going to remember this one. We've done a lot of these where it's like kind of like, oh yeah, this came out and was big that year, and then culturally had no impact whatsoever and it kind of does feel like this i mean it's still early but you know it does feel like it's going to go that way nobody discusses the artist anymore nobody probably will discuss the artist except as, except as us. you know yeah except because well, <laughs> it's, like, it's always going to be available in every format because this is what that was another thing i've you know we've learned too is that uh, as a just being a best picture nominee means at least you'll get a you'll get a release on every new format and you'll 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 be available uh right. because sure. you're a best picture yeah you are yeah. among one of the most elite uh, list of films ever in the his in the history of filmmaking for all 120 okay. years of it. Like you are, there have been 88, soon to be 89 movies that have won Best Picture, and the artist is one of them. And for that, we have to give it its day, give it its time in the sun, and then quickly throw it back. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I you know, I yes to all of that. I do like the technical aspects of this movie i think the black and white works the they they, they 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 don't light for you know a modern the process movie. it was made to no you know, i don't like it was shot it was shot in color it was and they, they changed it and they also they changed the frame rate they slowed down the frame rate okay. so it made it look yeah so like technically yeah i mean i would agree with that it it, it i mean they made it look like that they gave it the gut feel. They gave the four three frame. They gave you know they definitely did their homework, and they did a lot of work. It seems like a lot of work to to go backwards like that to not shoot on black and white originally. Um, but I'm I not a cinematographer. Okay, see, I didn't. I yeah. wonder why they didn't shoot on. I wonder why because there's there's still some black and white. Maybe because they can. 
film. Mess but, with it a little bit. Yeah, they, they can tweak yeah. it more. Probably there are more more ways to to change oh. it to their liking. Probably, I guess. I kind of I kind of changing my uh, my opinion of it now. All right. Because <laughs> no, uh, there there was the, there was a scene at the beginning. It was the 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 movie within a movie where uh, yeah. Valentine is being forced to speak by Nazis or just proto Nazis or whatnot. That was lit very well for. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, it was like this is a absolutely this is like a classic, you know, lighting structure for you know the the, the three spot lighting structure for a uh, for a black and white movie. That you know, so I I appreciate it on a technical level, and for all of its hollowness, it did move along at a fairly nice pace. I think it's like a two-ish hour. It's one movie. of our shorter, shorter one of films, our shorter ones. Almost. All right, <laughs> hour hour forty. Oh, hour uh, 40. It's a, okay. It's like yeah. a walk in the park. That's a brief. Oh, I have that written down here. I have uh, written down good pacing because yeah. I yeah. I remember distinctly when I saw it in the theater, and I did remember this on a second rewatch as well. I do remember going in with a lot of hesitation, being like, it's an hour and 40 minutes. It's a silent film. Oh, my God. I just – I'm not, like, sitting at home watching this. I'm watching in an uncomfortable theater chair. I don't know how this is going to go. And – I was surprised at how much it did zip right along by. And you know what's a very, very, very big reason for that? It's not the editing. It's the score by Ludovic uh, Bors. It's, okay. uh, it's the score is what keeps you emotionally involved. And you don't even realize it while you're watching it sometimes because the music is just such a constant presence and it never, ever really goes away. Right. So... I was actually most captivated by that, and it's a large reason why the, uh, that aspect of the film won the Oscar that year. But let's be real, it should have been disqualified, and it should not have had to contend, in all honesty, that year. Um, you guys know why, right? No, for what reasons? Oh, well, um, Bernard Herrmann, the uh, composer of many Alfred Hitchcock films, um, Ludovic used uh, a piece from Vertigo at the end of the film and there was a controversy that year uh, Kim Novak who starred in that film Vertigo uh, actually publicly wrote a letter decrying how they had you know plagiarized uh, Bernard Herrmann's work and how th- this was like an atrocity and so on and so yeah, she forth said, I have the quote here I feel as if my body or at least my body of work has been violated by the movie yeah. Wow. So, yeah, that's something. Yeah, yeah. And my, my thinking is like, if you're going to disqualify this year, for example, Arrival, which has one of the best film scores of the year and is completely deserving of being nominated because it uses Max Richter's uh, score in the end, uh, in the beginning, the two bookends of the film, how come this couldn't get disqualified then? Because that music plays a very, very central point in the movie towards the end in the most emotional part of the movie and it definitely has an impact on the viewer so how the hell does that qualify you know so listen his music on its own is fine and it's worthy of the win I'm just saying it should never have gotten to that point, not because of the merits of the score, but just because of the Academy's ruling and how they disqualify sometimes certain films, but other films still manage to get through. I just don't get it sometimes. It's an arbitrary process, I assume. Is it, is it done by these, the scoring uh, aspect of the Academy, or is it... 
You know what? Actually, I don't remember, and I feel like a very, very bad Oscar expert right now in saying that, but I honestly don't remember. Well, really? Wait, Arrival is is not is not qualified? God damn it. You will not see Arrival being nominated for Best Score this year. One last thing I'm going to mention that, you know, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone, I love you. You can sing all right. You can't really dance that well. These two people... Judardin uh, and uh, Bejo, they can dance. Oh yeah! It's, it's, I was like, I, I, I think I'd, I just saw La La Land like two days before, and then I saw this, and I was like, oh wow, this is, oh this is what it's like when people can dance. This is fantastic right here, and that's a lot of fun. It's like when you see people dancing like that, it's a lot of fun. Which uh, brings us to, is La La Land this year's artist? Yes, it is. Hundred percent. Okay, so in five years, we're going to be talking about La La Land. Is that like, oh, yeah, I remember that cute little musical that won. La La Land has uh, one thing going for it, which I don't hear a lot of people talking about. And maybe this is just because it's my interpretation of the film. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I like about La La Land, and uh, this is why it's one of my favorite films of the year, is because the film is all about the death of romanticism and how – a person that's living as a romantic, as a dreamer, as somebody who can easily, you know, fall in love and someone that, you know, a, a girl would just describe as being a romantic. That kind of a person can't thrive in this cold, cynical and dark world that we're living in now. And it's part of that idea that Giselle's playing with and mixing the old with the new and how we have to let the old go. Or we could do our best to try and bring it into the new world, just as how Sebastian tries to bring jazz into the modern world. And, you know, whether you succeed or fail is your own perception of success and failure. But realistically, that is what this film is commenting on, is the the death of people that are growing up in a society with big dreams. Kids are, we used to be told growing up, you know, dream big and you'll get whatever you want. Parents aren't telling their kids that now. Parents are like leveling their kids' expectations. And in the job world, it's like that as well. You know, it's no longer, um, oh, the sky's the limit here at at this corporation. No, it's like, you have your spot here. This is what you're always going to make. And you're going to take the train in and to work and you're going to be miserable, but you're going to provide and you're going to live your life. And you know what? You're just going to die one day. That's it. The world doesn't give a shit about you. (laughs) It's a, I'm serious. Uh, When you view the film through this kind of a lens, it actually yields some unexpected depth to it that I actually quite enjoyed. Hmm. Does the artist have any hidden depths like that? Do you think? No. <laughs> uh, the, the artist is uh, about a guy that can't embrace change and because of a woman is able to somehow get himself pulled out of a rut. And we and here's the funny thing. You know, they make this musical together at the end of the artist, right? And we hear George Valentine speak at the end. We find out he has a French accent and – the movie kind of just ends then. We don't know if he goes on to make more films. We don't know if uh, he has a successful career necessarily, but we know he gets the girl because that's so important, you know, and that's really it. 
Right. Well, I don't it, think it, it's that's so much about that. Though. I think it's more about him, you know, doing his thing. He he doesn't even care so much about the future. He just he's just happy to be doing it. That's you know. The, oh, the, 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 and, he, and he and he finally and he finally speaks. He finally speaks. Which is oh, the, I mean, I, I feel like you know, it's like it's it's, it's a, having is getting some hope back after after thinking that there's there's nothing he could ever do. I mean, it's not like you know, like a. I think I think of it like an like an athlete who like you know like when you get a certain age you're never gonna you're never gonna be an athlete anymore. It just works like that. But these people didn't know that they were gonna hit that stage. Like the silent movie actors, they didn't realize that there was a stopping point that their career would be begun. <laughs> so it's this guy who you know gets all the way down to nothing and then realizes there's something more. So I don't know. I I, I like the I like the ending. I feel like the ending gives a little gives a little hope and and light to the film. Yep. Um, I don't know if it's even so much about the the relationship either. I feel like it's more about his personal journey, his whole, you know, seeing a way. But if that's the thing. case, then then once again, it's a film that focuses so much on him and doesn't get, and gives her the short shrift, in my opinion. Right. Then. And, yeah. And no, she, she's just a yeah, prop, she, pretty much. Yeah. She's just a, she's she's. I mean, she's great in it. Um, but yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, her character her character doesn't exist for any other reason. She's we don't know about her, you know, her wants and needs. Uh, we don't no, know how, where, no. who, who she was, who where she came. You know, we don't know anything about her. And at least um, in that respect, uh, at least in La La Land, we have that two-hander. And I, mm. I mean, I, I think I think it's coming across here. I think La La Land is better than The Artist, and I'll be perfectly okay with it winning uh, Best Picture. Uh, my big thing about La La Land is I just don't know if it deserves to win as much as it's probably going to end up winning. Where The Artist it's not really like an offensive winner in the sense that it won like eight, 10 Oscars. It won five, you know, and that's, that's, that's okay. And the five that it won it's a reasonable amount. I'm, I'm okay with the five that it won, uh, given the competition that year, 2011 was not a great year. <laughs> there weren't that no. many great movies this year. Um, and there were a lot of disappointments too. You know, I mean, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy didn't really work for me. War Horse didn't really work for me. You know, it's just this was not the best year. And the movies that I did love, you know, Drive, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, you know, didn't <laughs> fuck all. You know, nobody <laughs> yeah. cared. We are also running long on this one, so we're going to have to come to an end now. Matt Neglia, thank you so much for joining us on this discussion of the artists. We'd love to have you back maybe to talk about the uh, the upcoming Oscars, but you know, of course it's all up to you. Where can people find you if they want to hear more of your works, read you, listen to you? If uh, you want to listen to me chat some more as evidenced by my hijacking of this show. Sorry guys. <laughs> it's uh, all I didn't good. Really need no, to. You're the guest. Um, I, I do tend to go on very passionate rants. Uh, you can find me over at the Next Best Picture podcast, part of nextbestpicture.com. We are available on iTunes Podcast, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and Player FM. We review films, talk about the Oscars, discuss even general film news. And we're looking forward to doing some really, really cool things once this Oscar season is over as well to keep interest going in the off season, gearing up again until next year for <laughs> the next year. And it'll, it'll be the 90th year of Oscars. Ooh, or, ooh, right? It'll be 90th 90, next year? 90 will be next year. Oh, that's so amazing. To, to, to realize that I'm going to live to see 100 is such a cool feeling. Well, you know... 
if the if the world makes it that far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of things can happen. Yeah. You know, uh, oh. we have to get the first four yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and you can, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can find us at uh, Oscar Watch Podcast at uh, Gmail dot com. Write us an email. We love to hear from you. You're obviously listening to it somewhere: SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Oscar Watch Pod. Send a like, send a tweet. We'll listen. Love the stuff. Next week, you know, we normally roll a die, but we decided to just, you know, I run the I run the show, so I decided we are going to take a long and lonely road down 1956 Fellini's film La Strada, one of uh, one of the all time great foreign language films. I'm looking very much looking forward to doing that. So stick around. Uh, guys, any other thoughts? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Good. That's all silence right we there. We got silent. Playing off of that, um, I highly urge everybody to go see Silence, which is expanding this weekend. So oh. if it's playing locally nearby, it's Martin Scorsese's uh, latest film. And in my opinion, his latest masterpiece to stand alongside Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, and The Departed. He tends to make one every decade, and I think that this is his latest. So definitely check that out. Nope. Those are that's uh, some mighty fine company you got you got right there. I'm definitely gonna have to go check that one out now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Oscar Watch Podcast. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time, but until then, we will see you on the red carpet. Where any office boy or young mechanic can be a panic with just a good-looking pan. And any shop girl can be a top girl if she pleases a tired businessman. Hooray for Hollywood! You may be homely in your neighborhood. <laughs>